1: Ivy Nation, what's going on? It is a Monday afternoon, which know, which you know means that we are doing Notre Dame Recruiting Hour. Of course, I am Ryan Roberts, the Director of Recruiting at IrishBreakdown.com, as well, joined by Mr. Sean Davis, who is a recruiting analyst here at the show, as well as the co-host of the Lucky Lefty podcast on CFP Nation. Make sure to go check out that YouTube channel, as well as look up Lucky Lefty podcast on any podcast. Podcast platform that you frequent, it's all on there. Make sure to give them a five star review as well, as well as giving us a like right now. Hit that subscribe, share with your friends. Hit that, um, hit that notification bell. We really appreciate that five star review for us here at Irish Breakdown Podcast would also be very much appreciated. We have a very, very jam packed show today, to say the least. If everybody that hasn't been following, we are deep in the transfer portal saga that we have seen already take place. Thousands of players already in the transfer portal. We're also less than two weeks away from national signing day on the 21st of this month. So we have some updates. We have some new thoughts. We have some new, uh, new headlines that you need to kind of be aware of. And of course, Sean, we had what was a peaceful Sunday throughout most of the morning was quickly derailed when we heard the news of the impending decommitments of Brandon Davis Swain in the 2024 class four-star defensive end out of the state of Michigan. So we didn't think any better topic would be suitable for today more than talking about 2024 defensive line recruiting. Now that the class is just Owen Waifel, who is a 2024 defensive tackle out of the state of New Jersey. So there's only one man class right now. We have talked about the deep importance of Notre Dame really hitting on defensive line recruiting in 2024. So we'll talk about that, including some of the top targets, players that Notre Dame has interest in, and talk just about the state of it and what it means and what we should be looking at moving forward. We'll also get into some recent recruiting news, both on the transfer portal side of things, as well as some visits that the coaches made this last weekend. We know with the dead period being lifted last Monday, the coaches have been out and about all last week. They'll be out and about all this week. Yeah. Very busy time, Sean, and then we'll hit the mailbag at the end. But, Sean, we are in the midst of the madness, man. I guess a good way to start this podcast off and the the way we're going to start this first segment is Brandon davis Swain, the commitment from Notre Dame, who was, if you remember back to spring game last year, he was the first commitment into the class. And kind of the details here, and you should go to Irishbreakdown.com because Brian Driscoll made a post yesterday as soon as it happened about kind of the backstory on it. Yeah. Basically what the backstory is, is, I mean, Sean, it was pretty mutual, right? There was, I think, on the Brandon Davis-Swain side of things, they were looking for some things, promises, some promises to them, some things that they were kind of asking for. Notre Dame did not see it fit, you know, to kind of make those promises happen for them. And it was just kind of a, a – they, they had a moment, I believe, yesterday morning where basically they said that maybe it's better if we part ways. So this was not just – one side spurning the other this was a mutual decision for both sides and it was probably better to just move on from there but Sean to get us started here man I guess your thoughts on the Brandon Davis Swain D commitment and what this means for Notre Dame in the 2024 class at this moment
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: And I remember, you know, when I did the story on Brandon Davis Swain prior to him visiting for the Clemson game, and then afterwards, you know, the conversation that I had with his dad, the conversation I had with Brandon was quite uh, calm. And then I picked up a conversation with his dad, and his his father was quite, trying to find the right word, adamant about his feelings, about... The way his son had been had been treated, and about the way they were deciding to handle his recruitment as far as visiting schools and you know, enjoying the full process. And multiple times he made it known that Brandon chose Notre Dame and that's the school that he wanted to choose. He said it multiple times. And sometimes you you know this, Ryan. Sometimes when you listen to someone and you're interviewing them certain things jump out to you in that mm-hmm. conversation. And then as things develop, you go back and remember the full conversation. And then, you know, it adds a little bit more context to something that happens in real time. And right. so for me yesterday, you know, of course, you know, me on a Sunday, you know where I'm going to be on Sunday morning. So, you know, of course I step out from church and, you know, Brian contacts me to let me know, like, yo, I'm giving your heads up. This is what's going down, and I'm like, oh, okay. And like there's literally no reaction from me. Right? Because it's like, okay. Like, I didn't see it happening this quick, but it doesn't shock me that it happened. Right. Like it doesn't shock me at all. Because yeah. the the direction and how things were being led in terms of his dad mm-hmm. doesn't shock me at all, you know, because yeah. his mindset as far as going out and, and going to other schools and seeing what's out there is obviously something that is, is really not happening as much as people think. hmm when it pertains to the kids that are committed to Notre Dame, but you do have the small piece that are actually going out searching. And that's not to say other programs aren't coming to young men and presenting them with things, which is totally different rather than young men going out, gaining, you know, gathering information and then bringing that information back or coming back to Notre Dame is saying, you know, what about this? What about that? That within itself, we've seen multiple times, as you talked about, it was a mutual parting of ways. And the only person that has really stepped away from the program where it wasn't a mutual parting of ways is probably Dylan Edwards.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So, it's yeah. a good point. This is really Notre Dame, you know, taking a stance like, look, It's fine if you want to go out and gather information. It's fine if you want to take visits and you stay in constant contact with us. That's Mm -hmm. fine. These are all things that Brandon Davis and his father said they did with the staff. But one thing we're not going to do is play this, you know, negotiation game. Right. We're not doing that. They've been steadfast in that. And, you know, in this time, that's to be applauded. You might not like it because you lose a few players, right? But that's to be applauded, right? Because mm-hmm. at some point, like, how much do you want to actually give before the the kids actually run the program? It's like exactly. <laughs> you continue to give; you're basically turning the reins of the program over to the kids. You're losing the power, right? Absolutely, right. exactly. Oh, so, yep. No, and especially. Dude, this is his first full calendar year as a head coach. That's not the way you want want to start off as a head coach.
1: Sean, I I think I want to say something about this particular recruitment, and you tell me if I'm out of line because you've been a lot closer to Brandon in this recruitment than I have. You know, like I've checked in on him obviously and saw how things were going, but you, from the start, have kind of been you know the the lead guy as far as talking to Brandon Davis Swain. I think that he may have been a little premature with his decision initially, if I'm being completely honest, in my opinion. Just because we had no smoke that that was a possibility, him leading up to the visits during the spring game and then making the decision. And I always kind of felt like, did that happen too fast, right? Did he make a rash decision? And I don't don't want to say that I expected him to – to decommit at some point, but I, I I wasn't shocked when he would, you know, take a visit here and yeah. there and, you know, yeah. talk about, you know, some of those things. And I don't know, like it just, to me, it just felt like maybe he should have played, he should have let the, everything kind of figure itself out a little bit earlier in this recruitment. Right. I mean, like, that's yeah. just my opinion. Again, that's not something directly from Brandon Davis Swain. That's not something that anybody else on this podcast or on this message board or anything share with me. It just, it did seem like it was a little bit of a rush decision early on. I don't know if you agree with that or disagree, or it's just kind of my take on it.
2: Well, it is. Well, you see a kid like Jack Larson, because I remember when Jack decided to make his commitment and talking to his coach, his coach said that he wants his players to commit in their junior years because of injury. Right. Most schools will honor the commitment you make if you get injured in your senior year. So he said, you know, he likes for his high school players to go ahead and decide in their junior year. So a lot of different POV, I mean POVs about recruiting out there. And this is the thing, Ryan. And I man, please let me know how you feel about this. The landscape is changing. Right? So the old model to where um your commit meant something because there really wasn't a lot of information to gather after that other than my coach left my position coach left my head coach is no longer here i actually like this staff a little bit more that was it with nil and everything that's always evolving i have no problem with with young men waiting especially if you want the full process then wait. Yep. Wait. And it goes to your point. He was premature. Right. Yep. And my problem is, you know, I, I'm stepping in if I'm in that position and saying, you know what? Let's talk about this in a car ride home. Exactly. And if you feel the same way, then yeah. you can call when we get home and, and commit. Is you know, just to protect, to protect my son or daughter, mm-hmm. whomever's is making the decision from having to go through what Brandon Davis Swain is having to go through right now. And look, it's well, it's really, it's it's sad because what else did you, what else do you think a 16, 17 year old kid is going to do?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Come on, dude. Like that's like at 16 having a girlfriend and then you show up to school the next day and yep. you turn the corner and you see another beautiful girl and it's like, Oh, wow, she's really pretty. It's like, <laughs> if you keep going on these visits, what do you, is, you know, and I understand the full experience that you would want for your child, but at some sure. point, you have to be realistic about how they're going to see things. And, and look, I made, I said this earlier and I feel uh-huh. wholeheartedly. I think with the landscape changing the way it is, something needs to happen to whereas, if you verbally commit to a program, that program should have an allotted time where they have to sign you to an NIL. I mean, not an NIL, but to a national letter of intent. Mm -hmm. That means, look, you verbally committed to this school. They have 90 days to sign, you, which means you have 90 days to go find any deal or any other promise that you might want to bring to the table. And this is when this negotiation happens. Okay. Now we're talking. Mm -hmm. What can you guys offer me? I'm looking at NIL. I'm looking at this. All right. If you don't sign, you're automatically back to open recruitment. Like, period. Otherwise, why are we committing verbally? For what? Why are we doing all these social media posts? For what? Mm -hmm. For what? It's like we know what's going on. And at some point, the verbal commit has to mean something. Because it's the verbal commit that drives our show. It's the <laughs> it's verbal true. commit that drives what we do. It's the verbal commit that drives all of the the landscape, the publications, the platforms. If there were no verbal commits, they wouldn't be in the same type of business or have the mm-hmm. same success. They wouldn't. So no one's going to get rid of the verbal commit, but you have to make it mean something and it should mean something. So that within itself, is something that I think was will solve this rat race, you know, from the end of the season up to national signing day, which that is everybody offer as much as you can to try to flip this kid and flip that kid. And because at this point, it's and I understand I fully expect expect kids to flip if there's a coaching change. Mm-hmm. Right. If your head coach leaves, if your offensive coordinator leaves and you're a quarterback. He goes elsewhere. I understand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you know, people have to realize the model that was is no longer the model that's needed now. Yeah. Take your time.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's all good points, Sean. I would say this, right? I, I like one note that you made because I agree 100%. You know that when a player makes an impulsive, like, commitment on the spot to a coach – We know this for a fact. I mean, Notre Dame's done this a couple times already. It's like, you sure you don't want to wait? Like, you want to go home? Think. Make a proper decision. Because they don't want people to rush, too. Because the one thing that we haven't talked about as much, and I know some people are going to think this is insensitive, but, like, whatever. I don't care. You can call me insensitive if you want. When – if I'm a coach that's recruiting and a player gives me his verbal commitment and he says, I'm fully in – It hurts your recruiting, the recruiting side of things, though, Sean, because you know what it does when you have that spot filled up. You're not going to recruit that position anymore. And then a few months later, a decommitment happens, and you just lost months and months and months of traction you could have built with a different recruit that could have filled that spot. Like, it hurts you. It does. I have no problem with players making the decision that's best for them. And sometimes kids do rush decisions, no doubt. The, the commitments are fine, but I do agree, Sean, that like a, a window might be a good idea, uh, some side, some sort of window. Because at some point, if a player knows that they don't want to be there or that they, it may maybe a, a rational decision, right, and they draw it out a little bit, you just lost months and months of a relationship you could have been building with another player that could help your program that maybe was a better fit for yeah. your program, right, and better yeah. fit for them. It's yeah. It's just tough, man, because – Again, I'm,
2: I'm trying to be honest. Mm-hmm. What it does, yeah, I'm going to keep it all the way 100 right now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If people want to be shysty and the mm-hmm. hanger ons want to come around, now they don't have to do a shape.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Just gather the information and wait to National Signing Day. You don't have to convince a kid to decommit. No. Do your homework. Go get all of the information and make the decision. Yep, That is, is the sad part, right? Because you had a kid, dude, his, what happened with him is everything you would love about college football. <laughs> right. He comes to campus on the Blue gold weekend, sees all the former players, sees all the tradition, all the pageantry, falls in love with his coach. This is where I want to be. And literally, we're telling kids that's that's not good enough anymore. That's what we're telling kids. Yeah, what to be a kid is not good enough anymore. To have mm-hmm. the emotions of a kid that's not good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? Because of business. So forget being a kid. Your life is all about business. Nah, I don't want to be the uh, the Disney star. All right that has a tragic ending when they turn 20, 30. Nah. I don't want to be that. Mm. Right? I would much yeah. rather my child <laughs> slowly progress in their success. Mm-hmm. And I think this is trying to speed the process for these young men up and totally still what it means to be like these, these kids, they're still, I'll take that back. There's still a, a nice portion of kids and parents that are allowing their children to have that experience. But with each recruiting cycle more and more as this NIL evolution takes place, you're going to see the other side continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, yo, that's the, uh, that's the sad part of the business. Yep. It sure is, man. It's just, it's
1: very, uh, it's very interesting. I know we're getting bombarded with news constantly here, Sean. Uh, just want to throw a congratulations real quick to Keon Keeley, who finally committed to Alabama. That just happened a few minutes ago. We've talked about this a lot on this show. We weren't incredibly thrilled with the decision, but Keon is a great young man. He's going to do tremendous things at Alabama, so we're not going to spend too much time on that conversation. Just to wish Keon all the all – the, Best of luck in the world because he's a tremendous football player and a good kid. And I hope that everything works out for him down in Tuscaloosa. All right, Sean. So that's going to lead us, though, to – that's going to lead us to what 2024 defensive line recruiting looks like, right? Let's start with the commitment that we already have in the class, if you're Notre Dame, right? And that is Owen Wafel, who's out of the Hun School here in New Jersey, in Princeton, New Jersey, which is about 30, 35 minutes from where I live here in South Jersey. Yeah. So Sean, I mean, honestly, like Owen Wafel is a really good baseline to start this class off with. You know, he's a good yeah. football player, man. I feel like some people out there just kind of have this perception because he's this like white tryhard defensive lineman that he's not very good. And it's, you know, it's a little it's a little <laughs> insensitive, right? But in nine football games this year, Owen Wafle had over 60 tackles, over 20 tackles for loss, nine sacks, playing a like nose three tech position. He's a good football player, man. So I just want to start this conversation off by saying Notre Dame does have a really good defensive lineman that is committed in the class. I think that he's going to play a nose at the next level for Notre Dame. And I think he's going to be a really good football player, but obviously this class is very important for the defensive line group of Notre Dame moving forward. Cause the one hole that you could find in this class for 2023 is that you don't have a true Viper in the class, right? With when Keon decommitted. You have a lot of power, a lot of length, like Bubikar Triori. I just got off the phone with Armel Mukum before we got on here. You have Brandon Vernon, David Houston. That's a lot of length, a lot of physicality, a lot of power, and a lot of explosiveness. But none of those guys are true Viper types, right, Sean? So want to open this conversation up because it's not just about Vipers. Notre Dame also needs to fill out the rest of the defensive line class. We expect there to be between three to four guys somewhere in that ballpark. And we're so let's start with the guys that we feel that Notre Dame's in good positions for so far, right? So, two guys that I want to talk about that are out of the state of Connecticut. This is going to be a fun one for Notre Dame fans because I know a lot of fans here are big fans of what the Adam Alola brothers have been doing for Notre Dame for the last few years. You got Jason and Justin Adam Alola. Well, there's a new pair of twins in 2024, Sean, that Notre Dame is, appears high on, and I know for a fact. That you know, from sources close to them, it's them that they are also very, very high on Notre Dame. So, I think there's a lot of mutual interest between Jacob and Jared Smith out of the state of Connecticut. One, Jacob is more of the long Viper type, 6'5, 225 pounds. Jared Smith is more 6'3, 6'4, 265 pounds. He kind of looks to me like he is going to be that's Jason Adam Malola down the line. Like I think he's going to be a three technique when it's all said and done, or he'll be that strong side defensive end if he ends up at Notre Dame. So the Smith twins are high on Notre Dame. Notre Dame is high on them by all accounts. And to my understanding, talking to Jacob, I believe dropped this one to me yesterday that the staff is going to be out to see them this week on the trail. So Sean, Notre Dame has had success with a pair of brothers on the defensive line. I, I really like, Jacob and Jared Smith. I'll be completely honest. I like Jacob a little bit more as a player, just a little yeah. bit, because that is yeah. they. And not not because Jared's not a really good player. He is. I like Jacob more just a slightly for Notre Dame because that's the type of player that Notre Dame needs, right? They need that more that bendy pass rusher, more viper type. And then I think J- Jared Smith is a great fit though for Notre Dame. But Notre Dame out to Connecticut potentially trying to really hard to close on a pair of brothers out there in Jacob and Jared Smith. I'm a big fan of the twins, man. I think they're really talented football players.
2: Man, Notre Dame must have something <laughs> going with these twins, right? Whether it's these whether the Smith or the Robinson's. Like both camps seem to love Notre Dame. So they they are very similar to what we got with the Adam Neill twins. Like um I guess you know the three technique was the better Quote unquote player coming out with the Adam Miolas with Jason, you know, but now, you know, you're talking about the bend, which goes back to the latest offer, but I'm sure you'll get to that. Finding a guy that can run that, you know, the hula hoop drill, like I'm sure you've run it before in practice. When you can find guys that can run that hula hoop drill and you see the lean and bend to get around the corner and, and rush the passer. That's a gift, man. That's a gift. Like, because, you know, everyone can't do it. They can't be. Um, I forgot. Oh, man. Why am I drawing a blank? Just towards ACL with the bills. Bon oh, right? Miller. Von yeah. Miller. Miller, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, those Bon Miller types come along every now and then, you know. It's just mm-hmm. God getting. But I love both of the kids. And the one thing I'd like to point out is that the three technique is one thing, the pass rusher is another, and I'm sure we're going to get to this. Mm-hmm. That big dude is in need as well. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a lot when we talk about this 24 class along the defensive line. As the days uh, continue on, I'm sure we'll get deeper and deeper and deeper into the conversation. But you're absolutely right. It's good to be sitting in a great place with these kids. And, you know, I expect them to catch a little bit more heat in the mm-hmm. school. I expect bigger type programs to turn up the heat. Notre yep. Dame is going to have some company, and I'm glad Notre Dame got in early. It's a set of relationship, and that's going to be the trend for Marcus Freeman and his staff. You know, That's something they have to do. They have to mm-hmm. get in early. Yep. They have to get in early on Keon Kiwi and hope yep. that they can hang on. It's the same thing with them. It's going to be the same thing with the Robinsons, and it's going to be the same thing with some of the defensive line guys we're going to continue to talk about today.
1: No doubt about it. I mean, so those are two players that Notre Dame fans should keep close eyes on. Again, Jacob Smith out of the state of Connecticut and Jared Smith, his twin brother. Jacob, again, if we're talking about edge recruiting versus defensive interior defensive line recruiting – Jacob is 6'5, 225 pounds. He's that true viper. He's going to be about 245, 250 pounds when all is said and done. He's got that long frame, really long arms. And then Jake, uh, Jared Smith, excuse me, again, kind of more of that Jason Adam Malola type, could maybe just stick at strong side defensive end on the next level, but he is about 6'3, 6'4, 265 pounds right now. will probably be a 6'3, 6'4, 285 ish, 290 pound defensive tackle who's got some penetration skills. So, Keep your eye out on the Smith Brothers in the state of Connecticut. Very talented pairing. Sean, I know you were talking about some getting some length, right? Getting some power, getting some size on the defensive line. This kid is not a nose tackle. We'll get into a, a couple of potential nose tackles in this segment. But a player that I wanted to talk about that I believe Notre Dame is in a very good spot with, and that Notre Dame has high interest in, by all accounts. That is Mr. TJ Lindsay. Out of the state of Arkansas. He's out of Bryant High School in Arkansas, Sean. You want to talk about length? My guy is six foot five, 270 pounds, and he's got vines for arms, man. Absolute yeah. vines. Plays on a very good school in the state of Arkansas. Bryant is a very, very good team. Didn't see how they ended up this year, but at one point they were still undefeated late in the season. So they are a very good program. He is more of this, he's the big end who also might be a three tech eventually, like his body looks like to me, and I'm not comparing him one for one to Stefan to but that's the, what the body type looks like to me, right? Like, I think that he can be six, five, 200, I'm sorry, 300 pounds at yeah. some point. Like, I think he has that type of body type because if he's 270 right now, yeah. he has a lot of room left to grow in that frame. So if we're talking about a guy that can play some big end, some three tech all down the line, TJ Lindsay's a guy that is has high interest in Notre Dame. Notre Dame, believe, likes him a lot as well. Kind of reciprocate that interest, and he also told me that they're planning to get out to see him sometime soon over the next week or so. So TJ Lindsay, the other guy, Sean, that I would say Notre Dame has a very good shot with right now, and that I think is also high on Notre Dame in, in return.
2: Yeah, and like you said, once again, right in the line or right in line with Marcus Freeman. And what he's expressed from the time he's defensive coordinator that he wanted to improve on the defense, right? Length, range, athleticism—not only in the linebacker position, but in every position room on the defensive side of the ball. Lindsey fits that bill. I'm looking forward to seeing how he feels out. For me, like that's the first thing that jumped out to me when I saw his film. Like, yo, what is he going to be? And. It's, it's always interesting like to be a fly on the wall like the first day Matt Bayless meets with guys like this is what this is how I see you like oh, okay, that's the plan you have for him. okay, all right, cool. So I would be very interested in hear that conversation that Matt Bayless will have with Lindsay because mm-hmm. I think that conversation of'm uh, talking to recruits, some of those conversations actually happen on their visits. Right When they start to get a view of how they're going to be used defensively Mm -hmm. or whatever position they're going to be playing. So, look, it's one of these things where you have a kid like this from the Midwest, of course, look, the Razorbacks are going to be connected to this young man because he's an in-state guy. And the Mm -hmm. program is doing pretty good right now under Sam Pittman. Um, But, look. A kid like him, I can see him blowing up very easily. Oh, he's going to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Because, Sean, he has got that frame where I think if he play, if he can be 290, 300 pounds and not yeah. lose a ton of athleticism, right? Because like, yeah. athleticism is not really the name of his game right now. His game right. is length and power. And those things, you can keep adding weight to that frame, and it's, just, it's only going to improve those things, right? Like yeah. you're not going to take away – the flexibility he has. You're not going to take away the foot quickness because that's not really how he wins. Currently he wins yeah. by being a massive long dude who just can't get reached. That's how, that's what he is right now. So again, don't want to compare anybody to Stefan to it from a playing perspective, because I'm not saying that he's nearly that caliber of player. What I'm saying is body type. I do see some similarities because I do see him. Cause you made a good point about Matt Bayless and the strength staff, right? It's, I'm sorry, someone in the chat said I'm saying right too much today. I, I will get that figured out. okay folks, I will get I promise. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So all of us have our fillers, you know I don't I don't um very much often at all right like that's not one of my fillers. I guess saying right is my occasional filler. so I'll, I'll get back at it. don't worry, don't worry. We're in constant improvement on this podcast. So Sean, I was but I was when I talked when I was talking about TJ. Lindsay, right and I just did it again. I'm an idiot. I need a shot collar, man. This is, this is so bad right now. <laughs> TJ Lindsay though. We've seen Notre Dame. Now we've seen them start to try to play. I think a little more three down looks over the last couple of years. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. And TJ Lindsay for me is the perfect, perfect player that could potentially fit into a system that utilizes three down a ton. Cause this is a bonafide, five tech, four, four eye. When you look at him, like that length is just such a big plus. Cause I mean, if you remember when Stefan Two was at Notre Dame, they ran a lot. They were obviously, they ran a lot of three, four when he was yeah. there, but then yeah. he was an athletic enough kid where if you went to a four down, you could just line him up as defensive end and he could do those types of things. TJ Lindsay is the same player for me. He's remote, I think he's by far a better player inside than he is outside. But I do think that he is enough athleticism, enough speed, enough length that he could play a little bit inside and out. So I think that he is a really intriguing football player. Because to your point, yeah. he's rated as basically a three star across the board. But I think he's yeah. going to blow up. And you look at some of his offers, like he's got Georgia and the SEC yeah. schools interested in him. Like this isn't yeah. a guy that's just like a bona fide three star. He's going yeah. to get to that point. And he's got interest in Notre Dame. So. In a player, I I think that there's a sort of comparison to what Jason Moore would have been to Notre Dame this cycle, right? I I think that Jason Moore Moore is definitely a a better version of it at the same age, but they both had that similar length, size profile where you could play inside and out a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. To it, man, you know what? I think moving forward, I think Notre Dame probably wants to get to – That depth and variety of types along the defensive line and that Viper and Rover to be able to disguise fronts. You know, maybe make something look like a four man when it's really a three man, a three man over, or, you know, or a three man under type thing and get into like different disguises because they like to do that in the secondary already. But it'd be interesting because when you get those different body types, it gives you the opportunity. To be able to give certain looks and play certain defenses that Notre Dame really hasn't had the opportunity to play. Yes, because of that lack of range and length.
1: No doubt. And I and I wanted to start to do this more as we move forward, Sean. But Shamrocker just said, "What are these players ranked by the various services?" So Shannon Rocker, I know that the Smith twins, I believe it's two, four, seven or it's on three. I can't remember which one, but they're ranked inside the top hundred. So they're a top hundred national players. TJ Lindsay, I think he may be a four star on one platform right now, but he's mostly a three star player right now. So he's underrated. The Smith twins are rated pretty high. So that's kind of what the board looks like though right now, Sean. I definitely want to talk about some other targets that are on the board. We wanted to start out with the kids that we feel the best about for Notre Dame currently, Yeah, but certainly there's some big fish that are on the board that Notre Dame still has a shot at. It's just now about actualizing, doing, they're doing a good job in certain instances, but now you need to kind of make a push forward. So we're going to talk about a few players here player we get asked about every single show, Sean, and for good reason. Good reason. Justin Scott, out of Chicago, St. Ignatius, 6'5", 310 pounds, rated as a top 10 player nationally by at least one service. We've talked about this a ton, Sean. I'm going to kick it to you. But we do feel like Notre Dame got on him a little later than they should have because he – goes to a Catholic school in Chicago. (laughs) It's an hour and a half from Notre Dame, right? Like, it's it's a little bit inexcusable. But I guess uh, if you want to give just any update you have on Justin Scott, we are feelings about that recruitment in general, and we'll just kind of work through this a little bit, man, because if there is a player that should be a top priority for Notre Dame, Justin Scott certainly fits that billing.
2: Well, as I said before, just background, man, my relationship and discussions with Justin Scott started months before he even received this offer from Notre Dame. And even at that time, he was waiting for the offer. Like, man, I'm, I'm waiting for the offer. And you had schools like Wisconsin that were already in on them, Illinois that was already in on them, Michigan was already in on them. And, you know, I told him, like, the offer's coming. And, the holdup was the transition with the new staff coming in, and the new staff really didn't get in place until what, late February, March, and they were locking in on the twenty-three kids, and you know it just took time to get to the twenty-four kids. Which, dude, anybody could have sent this this behemoth from an offer. It really didn't take much film evaluations. Like he's from Chicago, he was like a five-star. Sure. Sean, because even off
1: even off a sophomore film, man, like you know he was he was a raw player, like most sophomores are, but the kid is stupid talented, just
2: stupid talented. Just to talk about Stefan Tua types, they literally moved him to a big end in a three-man front halfway through the season. They went away from a four-man front and moved him. To the end in a three man front to get him more pass rush opportunities. And of course, he was great at it. So, this is just the type of talent he is. And now they're in a dogfight. This could have been a much easier position for Notre Dame to be in, but now they're in a dogfight, right? Because now everybody's in on him. He was at USC for the Notre Dame game, you know, and talked about how great at the time he had out there. So, you know. Like I said, we'll talk about this defensive line recruiting as the days get closer to national signing day. We'll dig a little deeper on that, but unfortunately, um, you know what? Well, there's one move that would actually jump them or make everything great, mm-hmm. but some dominoes would have to fall for that to happen. But you know, we'll we'll save that for another day, another time. <laughs>
1: I mean, Sean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna categorize it like this, right? I don't think Notre Dame did a great job early in this recruitment, getting on him so late. It's kind of leaving it open to other schools, obviously, kind of like you were yeah. talking about as well. But there's no excuse for Notre Dame not to land this kid. There's not. I mean, yeah. he's right in their backyard, he's a five star. He's what they need more of on the roster too. I mean, if they need that 6'5, 300+ pounder that can be that potential nose, play him three. You got to get him. So, at that point, yes, you need to if you're Notre Dame, you may have not gotten off to the best start in the Justin Scott recruitment, but you now need to put your head down and 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 fight cuz Notre Dame is not out of this one, folks. Like I just want people to understand that. No. We're not right. saying this is doom and gloom. It's over with Justin Scott. What we're saying is, is that they let it become more be more of a fight than it needed to be. I think that Justin Scott I, would it be shocking, Sean, if if they got on him early and he would be in the class right now? Like, would that be shocking to
2: you? It wouldn't be shocking to me. I think that he. No, I'm. T- that's what I'm saying. Like the, the conversations that I had with him earlier mm-hmm. prior to his offer were, no, like that would be kind of a dream scenario. Like, yeah. I'm waiting for that offer. You know, and it's like, mm, yeah. you know, it just it didn't come. So, and then when it finally came after the blue and gold game, it was like, mm-hmm. you know, what took so long? <laughs> you know, I, I don't understand it. I'm not there in the building, but there was a layup. It was a layup, in my opinion. And, you know, there are a lot of kids being in the pipeline. There's a pipeline. You wrote a great story on the St. Louis pipeline. Mm -hmm. It's up Mm -hmm. on IB right now. Yeah. Yo, Chicago needs a pipeline. You do? Like, there's – I look at a kid like Christian Ben Ben Tanker. Uh, Look, a kid that's the tight end that has offers from everybody. All right. And let's go. Look, you feel like you have a shot at better players. That's fine. But at some point, the value of a pipeline from a city like Chicago for the program that Notre Dame is. That's that's pretty important, you know, and he's a darn from the film I've watched. He's a darn good player. And I just wonder, you know, in that 24 class, there's no way Notre Dame should go over.
1: In Chicago, right. no here. way. No doubt about it. I 100% agree. And we had we had a question here, Sean, from Shamrock Sean that says, Ryan, does recruiting hour include transfer portal recruiting? Of course. I'll say this, Sh- Shamrock Sean, as I was getting into December, I knew I was going to be busy leading up to signing day on the 21st. But now that the transfer portal is open, I am also extremely busy trying to figure out the targets on that end as well. So, yes, we could talk about some transfer portal stuff. We will talk about some transfer portal stuff in the next segment as well. But if you want to throw it into the mailbag, we can absolutely talk about it. There's no problem at all. We're here to answer any questions that you all have, but I mean, getting back to Justin Scott, Sean, you have to land that kid. You have to. So whether that is Al Washington up in his game or Marcus Freeman, getting more involved or Al golden, having a concerted effort in it, whatever it is, you have to get in this conversation because you know, him growing up in Chicago, you know he knows a lot about Notre Dame, right? Like he wasn't following Northwestern football. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> which is which is a nice school right in right in Chicago. But so you know that the brand is Notre Dame football in Chicago, right? Like you know that. So yeah, you, you have to get that type of player, man. You have to. Because I'll say this. Junior film for Justin Scott was impressive. I texted Sean. Sean, I texted you one day, I remember, and I was like, I might
2: look at him at offensive tackle. <laughs> like, he's, Absolutely. Dude,
1: he's this good, was man. First
2: year, This was his first year at tackle full time. That's wild. It's he's better.
1: He's a better tackle than a, a, quite a few in the 2023 class that are pretty highly touted. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, uh, the
2: good thing is there is a – very strong connection with him and Cam Williams, who is a 24 commit wide receiver. Yeah. So And you know,
1: Cam's talk. been on him there. You know, Cam's Absolutely. been
2: on him. <laughs> you know, they talk constantly. They talk yeah. constantly. So, yeah, it's time for Notre Dame to turn up the heat. Like, dude, Brian, I, I don't know what the recruiting schedule is, but I have, I have a problem. I would be at that young man's school, like, every week. Yesterday, like at every practice, I would be in the weight room watching him work out. Like he would know that Notre Dame is like the school that wants him the most.
1: Yeah, because I mean, we see we've seen some recruits, Sean. That like I talked to Jason Robinson, and I had an update on him on the board maybe last week. He's the wide receiver that's committed to USC in the 2024 class. He went to he visited Notre Dame for the Boston College game, right. And he talks so much about the fact that Chancey Stuckey and, and uh, people close to him yeah. told me that Chancey Stuckey is just on him, man, relentless, mm-hmm. won't stop, won't leave him
2: alone. Like, that's the type of stuff you I, need I, right I, we're now. We're talking about, absolutely, absolutely. Need. Yeah, practice. relentless. relentless. Let me tell you something, man. We finished practice, uh-huh. right? It's like a it's an hour, 15-minute trip. Mm-hmm. Our 15-minute trip, you can be yep. back just in time to get in bed and get right back up the next morning. As many times as you need to make a trip to Chicago for this kid, you make it. You have get a car service, it's just like, pick me up every Wednesday this time. I'm going up there every week until this kid is in the class, period. He's a must-get, a must-get. Yep. Must get.
1: yep. No doubt about it, and he's a very important cog potentially in this class. Notre Dame's in it, but it's going to be a dogfight, to your yeah. point, Sean. Like, that's that's what it's going to be. Another player that I think Notre Dame has a chance with, but it's actually – I'm going to put throw two players into the board here, and then we'll finish up the segment with this. So there's two defensive ends that I think Notre Dame is in the conversation for, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done moving forward. One is Williams and Wineri who is out of the it was out of the state of Missouri he is at yeah. least summit north kid who jeremiah love and christian brothers just beat in the state championship game williams m Winnery, 65 240 pounds, considered a top 10 recruit by at least one service out there really talented defensive end Viper type, but I also think that he could be a strong side defensive end down the line because he's got a frame where I could see 265, 270 pretty easily if he develops properly. And then you have Elijah Rushing, who's out of South Point uh, Catholic High School in the state of Arizona. Another kid, 6'6", 6'5", somewhere in that ballpark, 235 pounds. He is your true Viper type because even if he gets to 260, he is still going to be a legit athlete at defensive ends he is a five-star caliber football player considered a top 10 recruit by two different services so far. Sean, those are the those are the big fish on the board right now. And I I'll say this, I feel a little better about where Notre Dame is with Enweniri than I do with Elijah rushing just because Elijah rushing's an Arizona kid who is getting recruited by everyone? Right, all the Pac schools want them, All the SEC schools, ACC schools. He's not. He's not a somewhat localish kid. Like there's going to be a lot of schools that are going to be very interested in Elijah Rushing, and they all already are. Williams and Winery, I think they have a a little bit of an inside shot. Again, I wouldn't say that he. I wouldn't say that they're the leader for him or anything, but I would say that he is very receptive to Notre Dame. There's no doubt about it. Because he's seen what Notre Dame's doing in this in the St. Louis area recently,
2: yeah. and yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I you oh saying. no, I was
1: just going to say he's he see what they do in the St. Louis area right now, and I think that those relationships with guys like Jeremiah Love and Christian Gray and you know some of the 2024 kids like Jeremiah McClellan and Ryan Wingo that Notre Dame is making top priorities. I think that that is is going to help them a little bit with Williams, but again. I don't think – I wouldn't call him the leader for either guy, but they're in the conversation. But, again, it's going to be a dogfight similar to Justin Scott.
2: Pipelines mean a lot, right? Okay. He has that to look forward to. Uh, Ringo, McClellan, like you said, guys that could be coming in 24. Justin Scott, he's looking at Christopher Tarek and his guy. Playing possibly in 24 that he could play with. So establishing those pipelines. Michigan, the pipeline that they've established, you know, of course, you know, that's hurt with the decommitment of Brandon Davis Swain, but you can, you continue to go into Michigan. You get the Josh Burns, you get, you know, you get those guys, you get the CJ cars. I am, man, I'm just excited to see what can happen. Cause there's a lot of show and prove right now. Right. And you look early on, we can be honest, right. We put Chancey Stuckey under the microscope fast, right? Which might have been unfair, right? Like, dude, he just got here. But it was paramount that that wide receiver room got numbers in the 23 class. <laughs> like, paramount. And he did the job, right? Uh, whether or not you think it was unfair, you go to the wide, the quarterback Room, even though we got the late addition of Menchie. Menchie and CJ Carr 23-24. Okay. That position. We don't no need to Dela McCullough, you're good. Well we don't even have to talk about you. Even with the loss of Dylan Edwards, who was gonna be a Mr. Do Do-in-it. <clears throat> everything, Dylan McCullough's done a great job. We go to the defensive back, Mike Mickens. Great job. Chris O'Leary. With the two safeties he has in these, this class of 23 currently.
1: Nothing. Th- three. Three yeah. safeties in three. This right.
2: class. Yeah. Linebackers. Center. Osbury. <laughs> it's like Drake Bowling. <laughs> okay. And then honestly, there's one position we come to. And it's just like. It's just not stacking up.
1: Yeah.
2: It's it's not stacking up. Like, and it is, you know, can you say that it's unfair because it's a short time span? Okay, I can give you that. But this 24 class is it. This 24 class has to be spectacular. Has to be along the defensive line. I almost want to say you need two Vipers in this class.
1: Yeah, yeah. I because mean, I mean because you're looking at quick fixes right now, right? Notre Dame's talking about Justin Adam Malola maybe coming back for a six yeah. year like that. That would that'd be great for the 2023 team, but that's a quick fix, right? Yeah. Like, you're you're doing that because you couldn't get Keon Keeley in the 2023 class. Like that's why you're doing that. So yeah. yeah, I mean you almost need to double down because I mean we're all excited about Aiden Kabira and Joshua oh, Burnham, but but you don't know what those guys are. At Whoa. this moment, like, you don't know what they are. I, I'm excited about what they could be, but you don't know what hundred percent they are. So yeah, I mean, that's where, that's where we are folks right now. So Notre Dame's certainly in the conversation with guys like Williams and Winery and Elijah rushing, but there need to be priorities because I want to push back on someone. Someone said this in the, in the chat earlier, but I forgot to start Sean. They said Notre Dame's defensive line recruiting is terrible. And I push back tremendously on that. I do. Look, a four a four man class of Bubakar Traore, which is rated as a top hundred player, yeah. Brendan Vernon, who by some is rated as a top fifty player,
2: yeah,
1: a Armel Mukum and a Devin Houston, who's also rated as a top one fifty player by by at least one platform. That's still a good class, man. It still is. Is it as good as it should have been? No, it's not. No. I will one hundred percent right. Like you should have had Keon Keely in this class. Yep. and Jason Moore in this Jason class. Moore. And then you're talking about it being a, a good to very good class to a historic class. Like, those yep. are the differences there. But it's not a bad class. Recru- Defensive line recruiting is not bad. It just – it should have been better is the point. And I will 100% there, right? Yeah. But the point is, is that 2024, after a couple misses in 2023, you have to hit in 2024. You have to. Like, you can't miss out on Justin Scott. No, you can't. no. You can't miss out on maybe if you can get in with one of those top ranked, at one of those top ranked defensive ends. You you need to right. You need to get one of those guys. So yes, could should it have been better? Absolutely. Is it still really good? Yes. Twenty twenty three was still very good. There was a hole at Viper, no doubt. There was a couple of misses in this class. Not giving out Washington or and the rest of staff passes for that. There were a couple of misses. There were folks, and we'll talk about this more. As we get closer to sign today. Does that make it terrible? No. We're too hyperbolic around here. We're too. It's either everything's amazing, everything's the best ever, or everything sucks and we want to burn it to the ground. No, we're, we're, we're still okay. Notre Dame is still okay. It's just that it does need to get better, though. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. So that's going to do this, though, Sean. That's kind of the 2024 board a little bit, right? A little bit of the... Background and some players to keep an eye on for for Notre Dame, and uh, we didn't mention Darius Hayes, who's a talented kid out of Florida, who is technically a linebacker but might be an edge at the next level. That I know Notre Dame is very high on, and I know they'd be out to they'll be out, excuse me, to visit him as well this week. So that's the defensive line recruiting on the recruiting uh, Notre Dame recruiting hour. Don't go anywhere, of course, because we're going to go into our second segment where we're going to be kind of recapping a visitor from this past week on the recruiting side of things. Some transfer portal talk. We'll also be talking about another transfer portal player that we'll be visiting next week. And we'll be talking about some of the visits that the coaches have made on the trail. So before we get to that though, if you could hit that like button, share this podcast, hit that notification bell, five star reviews are very much appreciated on your favorite podcast platform. That is going to end this section of the Notre Dame recruiting hour. (laughs)